This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. So today's podcast is brought to you by Laird Superfood. I know you're laughing because Laird is my husband. But what I am trying to do with this show is only have products and sponsors that I really use or I know will benefit you in some way and I believe in. So Laird Superfood that you can find at LairdSuperfood.com, one word, is from a habit of Laird's and a passion of how can I make an everyday habit work for me better? And so this came out of a habit that Laird did for 20 years and a good friend of ours out of that started Laird Superfood because people were trying to figure out, well, what do you put in that and how much of this? And so this is how it came. It was completely organic and completely by accident. Let me tell you a little bit about the products. So we have our coffee and tea creamers. We've got hydrate products, activate products, Even matcha, if you're a matcha lover or a chai lover, we have all of these products. They're so delicious. I mean, you don't have to sacrifice. For me personally, Laird will eat and drink certain things because they're good for you that personally I wouldn't. But on this, you don't sacrifice any taste. You have all of the important four MCTs. There are no artificial flavors, no refined sugars. You don't need to refrigerate it. And this is really important to the brand. It's plant-based fuel. So there's no soy, it's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, and yes, paleo. Some of the flavors, we've got the original creamer. You can put that in your coffee and tea. I even put it in the kids' oatmeal. You can cook with a lot of these products and bake with them. We've got cacao flavored if you're in a chocolate mood, turmeric if you're trying to add some ways to get turmeric into your diet for that inflammation. We even have our creamers with mushroom powder already in there if you like. This is great. Boost the immune system. We have unsweetened, if you're watching your sugar, vanilla, so you can get creative on flavors. But no matter what, you can have complete confidence of the ingredients in there. You'll understand every ingredient when you read them on the packaging. We have hydrate products, freeze-dried coconut with Aquaman. Aquaman's in all of our products. It's a highly bioavailable mineral. And Again, if you travel and you're on the road, I encourage you to check out the InstaFuel. There's original and unsweetened. All you need is hot water and you're good to go. This product is an unsung hero as far as I'm concerned. So go to LairdSuperfood.com. And if you want to purchase, when you are at the checkout, put in Gabby20 for that discount. 
So again, LairdSuperfood.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, I have a very special and fun guest. I had to go on a field trip to speak with her. Some of you know her simply as Natalia, but I think if you really know her, you know her just as Natty. So Natty Neidhart of the WWE, coming from the very famous heart wrestling family. Her dad was Jim Neidhart, who passed away in 2018, was a part of the Heart Foundation, a huge wrestling uh, combo team with Bret Hart. And I thought rather than talking about wrestling per se, because those interviews have been done, it would just be really interesting to talk about the schedule, what it's like navigating, you know, her husband was a wrestler. He, you'll learn, had an injury and how you make those transitions because, you know, the show must go on. She discusses her travels with the WWE, and I don't mean in the United States. I mean, if you can imagine being the first woman to wrestle in Saudi Arabia and going to Rwanda. She talks about dealing with the loss of her father, but also some of the things she learned after her father passed away and just what it takes. But really, at the end of the day, what you'll see with Natty is somebody who has learned so much from the people before her and is so willing to share with the people coming up. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So Natty, thank you for having me. I'm in your house. So I'll just establish it at the top. We're here in Ontario, California at the arena for tonight's show for Raw, for WWE Raw. So if we hear noises, because people are going to be listening mostly on a podcast, People have got to understand that we're right in the middle of the action. So I want to continue the conversation that we were just having off camera, which was talking about the travel. And people not realizing, yes, the entertainment and the show of WWE, but also maybe you could share with me just some of the experiences. I know you went to Rwanda. We were just talking about Saudi Arabia. You were the first woman to wrestle in In Saudi Arabia. Arabia. So maybe just— Walk me through that and and share what that experience is like. Well, it's crazy, you know. Having been WWE for twelve years, I've feel like I've kind of seen it all. I've been to, you know, we've been to, gosh, I mean, everywhere from Rwanda to New York City, Madison Square Garden, all the way to Saudi Arabia. I was the first woman, myself and Lacey Evans. We had a match in Saudi Arabia last year, and we were mm-hmm. the first women to compete. So wait, last over there. year was the first yeah, time. November, November wow. of last year, October thirty first. It's all a blur, but last last year we had it, we were the first women to ever compete over there. So so you get that call, yeah. And tell me like what that feels it, like. It's just I I didn't believe it was going to happen until the day of um, really until you were walking out. In this industry, we always say in WWE, card is subject to change because anything can happen, sure. whether it's injuries or personal matters or you know, women had not done anything like that before in Saudi Arabia. So the government was very involved, and it was something that Vince McMahon 
had been personally working on doing for the women of WWE for years, Mm -hmm. ever since WWE first started going to Saudi Arabia and building a partnership with them. So I know it was something that Vince had been working on really, really hard, but it wasn't just up to him. And so I think if it was up to him, he would have had us go there a long time ago. So it was it was really surreal to be able to go there. And but I, I didn't believe it was going to happen until it happened. And who's in the audience? Like when you come out, who's sitting there? I mean, what does that look like? It was. I just felt like when I walked through the curtain, there was over forty thousand people, and it was just like electric. But before I walked out, I was like, I wonder if they're going to even cheer for us because they're not really used to seeing women perform. So are they going to like boo us? Are they going to be like quiet? Are they going to just not say anything? They were electric. They gave us the reaction that we had been dreaming of. They were, it was surreal. It was just so surreal. I was more nervous and excited at the same time to wrestle in Saudi Arabia than I was at any WrestleMania. Just because... Well, there's a lot more on the line. That's a bigger yeah. conversation. Yes. Maybe, you know, you were you were mentioning about in, in Dubai, like some of the things they were chanting there. Because I think, you know, listen, this is this platform is so giant. It's so successful. It's so fun and shiny. But really what it can do in other places, that's a little yeah. different. In looking at the magnitude of women performing in Saudi Arabia, I don't even think people— fully understand or realize it until they sit down and we're talk, have a discussion, like a conversation like we're having now. What WWE is doing in Saudi Arabia for women, we're helping open up doors in their country that have never been opened before. We're helping, we're, it's transcending. It's a transcending experience, but it's helping women in Saudi Arabia realize dreams that, they, that were never possible for them before. And WWE is a part of that growth and that change. And we do everything on such a big it's, well, I think that's what it is. I think the extremeness, like to have you who, when you guys are there, you're superheroes. The men yeah. and women, they are yeah. superheroes. And so in a way, it's almost like that extreme yeah. just to get a woman there to go, oh, wait a second. Or or even for the government to say, we need the, the superheroes come in, even all of the the action and, yeah. and the, there's a level of slickness, yeah. if you will that sometimes that that's actually what can promote some of the change. Then if we go in and we do a lot of talking and yeah. educating. The action is making the change. It's it's very interesting. And like, you know, at the end of the match that we had last year, I it just was an organic thing that happened, but I love taking selfies. I'm always taking pictures of everything, but I like selfies. And so I got out of the ring and I, all the crowd was grab, trying to grab us and hug us and like, yeah this one little girl was trying to take a selfie of us and I just grabbed her camera and I took a selfie and it's become like kind of an iconic image of that trip. It's been in all the press and all the, you know, like cover of a Chinese newspaper, This me taking the selfie with this girl sitting front row, this little girl, mm-hmm. this Saudi Arabian girl and myself just with 40,000 people behind us. And I thought, when I look back on that, I was like, if that one little girl had a dream of being like a WWE superstar, like one day she's going to say, like, it was because of these girls that I realized that I could have this dream too. And it was just like a powerful feeling to know, like we caught this image of like what we're doing. You know, we take things like for selfies for granted. Mm -hmm. It's like 
I'm just finished wrestling in Saudi Arabia where no women have ever done that. Now I'm taking a selfie. Now I'm literally kissing lady on the cheek in the front row in Saudi Arabia going, they're exactly like us right. in the sense that we're all people. We're all humans. We're all connected. We may have different cultures and we'll, we'll respect the Saudi Arabian culture, but we're all human. Yes. Yeah, so we all want to feel love. is different. When you, when you wrestle, it's a little yeah. bit, you're a little more... We're covered up. <laughs> listen, after hey, listen, baby steps. But what I mean, yeah, after flying for sixteen hours on a plane, you know, a little water retention. I didn't mind getting a little covered right. up. <laughs> but I actually, ironically, I'm I wear an outfit that's pretty covered up anyway. On yeah. TV, I wear kind of like a, a cat suit. So my costume wasn't crazy different than what it normally is. Yeah. But we no fishnet, no fishnet, right. no. I mean, no Beyonce J Lo style. <laughs> Cat suit. Right. But, you know, we were more covered up and we had to wear T-shirts over it. But that's, you know, it's part of yeah. their, a lot of people have asked me like, hey, you know, you had to wear such a big shirt. And to me, like, I didn't even really think about the shirt. I was just thinking about like, if I have to wear a shirt to make history, yeah. I'm okay with that. It's baby steps. And even like, you know, out of respect, I asked the Saudi Arabian government, there was my cat ears I was wearing when I walked down to the ring. I took them off and I, I wanted to give them to somebody in the audience, but I asked them out of respect because- yeah. Again, in WWE, we really understand the importance of respecting different cultures. We're in over 180 countries around the world in 30 different languages. So not everybody's going to have the same culture as us. So for me, like, I felt I, I felt proud that I was following their, you know, their rules, but also bringing part of our, our stuff with us. And you took a trip. Maybe you could just share, because I know that you guys do a lot of things to support the troops. Right. And you took a trip to Rwanda that right. I think was probably pretty profound for you, that was the most, you know, including Saudi Arabia. And then Saudi Arabia was more of a wrestling experience, you know, performing in the ring. But sure. Rwanda was the most powerful thing I've ever done in WWE as far as like human connection. You know, with WWE does a ton of community outreach work. We do stuff with Make-A-Wish, Susan G. Komen, Special Olympics. And we connect a lot with people, children. You know, we have, we have a foundation called Connor's Cure, and it's we've raised over $3 million for kids with cancer. Mm -hmm. So we do a ton of community outreach, but to go to Rwanda, we visited two different refugee camps, and we were literally in the heart of where the genocide had taken place. And to tell, me, tell me what that's like to go to these places, just to, because it's this, it's an unusual push and pull where you want to go and see a place and be a part of something or even figure out a way to it sounds silly, but like almost bring love. Yeah. But then also it's, it is jarring and they're, you know, you yeah. sort of feel like, so I'm curious also for you, how do they receive, receive you? And is it's a very unusual dynamic. Well, you, you talk about love, like the kids and the families and the people that were in those refugee camps that we went to where they were literally still hiding in kind of the woods. We had to take a special car to get up there. We had to go through a mountain. It was very, it was very tricky to get there. But we um, were surrounded by so much love. The people that were in the refugee camps, they didn't have TV. They were only allotted like nine different types of food from the World Food Bank. They didn't have proper water. They didn't have proper sanitation. I mean, even for us to go to the bathroom, it was like, there wasn't always a place for us to use the bathroom. Sometimes you were so, literally like struggling to find a facility to go to these. They didn't have the basic necessities of life. They didn't yeah. really know what WWE was. I was going to say, so they don't yeah. even maybe no. know who you are. They don't. There, there may have been one or two or yeah. 
maybe a handful that knew they don't have TV sets to watch WWE, but they human to human. It's it's just about that human connection. They were so I think they were so touched that we came there to bring them supplies. We were bringing them different supplies and different, you know, resources and just giving them love, giving them attention. They were so excited. And even the women were dressed up and they were dressed up in, in a way that was so feminine. I was thinking to myself, like, they don't even have any money, yeah. but yet they still know how to be feminine. They yeah. still know how to give you a hug. They still, all the things that don't cost money, these people yeah. are, are, they have so much of. They well, taught pride, right? Pride, like yeah. Pride. And just love. It was just like love from us to them. And it yeah. was just so powerful. They wanted to dance for us. They wanted to give to us. Their and we, culture, yeah. They didn't even have anything to give and they just wanted to give. Yeah. So it was really cool. When you re-enter, because I always think that, you know, I, I joke about like, I you know, we live a very easy life. We, we yeah. you know, we do. And I have three daughters and my youngest daughter, I said to her, oh, you know, you like, you li-, I think I was frustrated about something. And uh, I said, you know, you live in a bubble. And she's like, oh, well, you put me here in the bubble, right? And I think what's interesting is I'm curious, like, what's your perspective when you re-enter into your world after going through something like that, you know, how that impacts you? Because I think what, What's important is people can actually serve and do things, but they don't realize also selfishly how it sort of enriches and enhances not only your own life, but it also maybe makes your vision pretty clear. Yeah, it gives you a different perspective. It gives you a different reference to the fact that like, you know, we do have a lot of privileges. Like I work in WWE and I'm able to buy myself a nice car, a nice house, a nice outfit, a nice meal. You know, I don't take those things for granted because I didn't always have the resources to do that myself. Right. But when I when I meet people like the children in Rwanda, those refugee camps that really, they didn't have, they had to make a decision of whether they were going to bathe or drink water. It gives you a different reference and a different perspective and also a different level of compassion that we take with us wherever we go. We go to these, you know, that's again, going back to some of the different work we do. Some of the stuff we do in the community is just so... Powerful. We, we meet kids that are dying. And when we go and visit these children's hospitals, the doctors tell us after we leave that we actually raise their vitals. Mm-hmm. That when we leave, they like their heart rate's up, they're, they feel better, they're more fulfilled, they're more excited, they're more like to know that we can do that just because we work here and they see us on TV and they think, oh, these guys came to visit us. Like it's just a powerful feeling. It's more important to me than winning a championship in the ring. It's more, it's more important to me than some of the different accolades that come with being a superstar here because, and I know this is probably going to, maybe, maybe this will rub some people the wrong way, but it's fine. (laughs) What we do in WWE is entertainment. It's not real. It's the ring stuff is real. It's, it's, we tell stories, but when, well, it is dangerous. I've watched it. It's, you know, this is athleticism. That part's real. I understand what you mean. It's, it's athleticism. But when they decide what I'm, what I'm trying to say is storylines. When somebody has decided that they're going to be a champion, you know, it's not like the Olympics when Charlotte Flair wins a title. It's because the company has faith in her. They, the company wants her to have this. The company's going in a direction with a storyline. But when you visit a child that has cancer and is terminally ill and is, is dying and only has a few days left to live, that's real, what you're giving them. Mm-hmm. In WWE, and I always have to put this in perspective because I sometimes wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm annoyed with this match or, oh, this could have gone better. I wish I had this or I want to do that or I wish I was champion or... It is real, but it's not real when it comes to going to a refugee camp or visiting a kid with cancer or talking to families that have lost their children to something traumatic. Like, that's what's real. Mm -hmm. Even at, this is a great example, but 
Royal Rumble. Yeah. Um, Royal Rumble, we did a show in front of 50,000 people. It's, one, it's the road to WrestleMania. It's a big, big show for us. I was having a meltdown in the locker room about something that wasn't real, which was my makeup wasn't done. I was like, I can't get into a makeup artist. There's nobody there. There's six of them. Why can't anybody help me? And again, I was having a meltdown about stuff that wasn't real. Like, yeah. who cares that there's not a makeup artist? Like, looking back on it, I'm so mad at myself that I, like, had this little explosion. But when I was having that meltdown, we found out about the news about Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I'm literally, like, worrying about my makeup being done for the show. And... Kobe and his daughter were just in, you know, seven other people were just in this terrible accident. So that day, put it in perspective, when I walked to the ring, again, walking into the stadium full of people, I was like, that's what's real. Yes, wrestling is fun. And yes, you love WWE. And yes, you love performing. And we all want to be a champion. And it's dangerous. And it's, you know, you're going in there. It's, it's a sport very much. But what's real is the real stuff. But I think that's life. I think, listen, yeah, it's, we all lose. You have to put the, it in perspective. The plot. We and also if I if I'm asking someone, hey, I want you to come out, I want you to perform at the highest level, I want you to be the part, I want you to look the part, I want you to take all these things on. Part of that in that moment is having your makeup done, right? Yeah. So it, I think for all of us as humans, right, we're sliding in out out of. Does that really matter? No, it doesn't really matter. I'm freaking out. It doesn't really matter. I think that's something that we right. all have to work on. Right. And part of what you're doing is, yeah. you know, you're putting the superhero on. You're getting ready for that performance. Yeah, because when you come out, guess what? If I am sitting there, I want to see that. Yeah, and and we have to think about the people in our audience that are paying to see the show because what we do takes people out of their element. Like, people, a lot of people come to watch us to escape. Absolutely. You know, entertainment is, no matter what is going on in the world, you want to escape. You want to have that level of, like, I just need to get away from my worries. But then, like, sometimes I I get so, like, into— we get so into our hustle and bustle because, as we were talking about earlier— you get a little desensitized sometimes being in showbiz where you're like, I got to get on a plane. I got to get in a car. I got to get to the stadium. I got to do this. I got to be this. I got to eat this. I got to, you know, you're you're balancing so many things that there, there are times when I can recognize that I get a little desensitized where I'm like, Natty, it's just a show. It's just entertainment. It's, it's not like there's some things in life that are real. That's like, yeah. again, like it's, it's funny saying it's not real. Wrestling is real, but yeah. there's some things that are more important than, just showbiz. Right. And there's things that WWE that put it all in perspective for us. It's really powerful. And then we we get those experiences from working here. So talking about real life, you know, when I was doing my homework on you and I've been with my husband for 24 years, which it, in some ways it feels like a blink. And in some ways it feels like many, many lives. And I, I sort of thought, you know, after learning so much about you that you have been in a very long relationship. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I guess I'm interested, and, and obviously at some point you guys were doing sort of the same thing. Yeah. Same job. And, you know, it's even interesting, like all people, like you go through things with your partner, maybe one person's up in work and one person's not exactly where they want to be. And yeah. then it flips and just kind of how you you manage these, these little dynamics. I You know, maybe you could just tell me a little bit about— some of the things you've learned to make it work, but also if you have developed tools that help you get through those times, like let's say he's kicking ass and you're going through something or vice yeah. versa. You know, I know he suffered an injury and had to make a transition and, and which maybe you can talk about how that's working out because I think it's, it, these are the things, 
right? Like living with another person and each person going through their own things together, that's a rhythm. And how do we yeah. how do we get through those? Especially those times? when we share the same passion. Like TJ and I, yeah. we both work in WWE. TJ had a wrestling career of he had his first wrestling match was when he was 15 years old. So his life and his love and his art were wrestling. And he had an accident in the ring. And it was a career-ending injury, but it it almost killed him. And again, I go back to the things that are real. Like, as much as we all want to be in a WrestleMania match, like, I thank God every single day for TJ that he's here because of how traumatic that injury was and that he came out okay on the other side. He wasn't paralyzed. He wasn't, you know, it was a really traumatic time in our lives. And, you know, TJ broke, broke his neck at the base of his brain. So it's not an injury that people that have, they don't, it's the same injury that Christopher Reeves had. Yeah. It put a lot in perspective, but it was a really hard time for us when TJ lost his career because I was still wrestling. This is it, right? You have a very successful person at what they do, something that they love to yep. do. And in a way, the environment is, it's sort of a little bit macho. Yeah. Like even what you're doing, when I say superhero, it's, there's something to that. And now you're still doing it and as the wife. Yeah. And he's not. How do you guys, you know, work? And I know he's thriving and I, I want to hear about that. But I'd love to know, like, how do you guys well, talk about that it, and deal with that? We, TJ, TJ's actually been in extensive therapy for like four years after his injury. He really, he really needed it. And he, and it's funny because he, he's the type of person I never, ever thought would go to therapy. And then now he just loves his therapist, like can't miss a week of therapy. <laughs> But, um, which is so great because I, I think it's helped him so much. But like when he first had his injury, it was right in the middle of the women's, it was right at the start of the women's evolution. Mm -hmm. So the women's evolution in WWE is when they really started to use women and they were like giving all the girls this big like push. And I was like so torn inside because I was like, my husband, do I just like step back from wrestling right now, step back from WWE or do I... Because right now, like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole career is how they're treating the women right now is so good. And they're giving us so many chances. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because a couple of years later, TJ and I got into a fight and he said to me, he's like, you cared more about going back to work than you did about, you know, mm -hmm. being there for me at home. And I said, well, I can't just stay at home all day and be sad, you know. And then I think about, like, you know, even when my dad passed away, I went back to work four days later because I just feel for me, what works for Natty is just getting back into my routine but for TJ, it came out a couple of years later that he was like, I just, you know, it hurt him. Yeah. And did he say, like, when it was going on, was he like clear about, hey, I need you here? Or was it like, no. okay, go do your thing? No, he didn't say. He was going through so much with his injury mm -hmm. and healing and his recovery and just grasping, wrapping his head around the fact that he lost his career of 20 years, which was actually his identity. He lost mm -hmm. his identity, lost who he was on top of healing his neck that he never told me, he, you know, he, he didn't come out and say, hey, like, I don't want you to go on the road. I need you here with me because I'm like, I need you. Like, yeah. I, I need you here. So for us, I've always been so used to just pushing through. And again, I go back to being desensitized. Like once the injury happened, we got through the surgery. Okay, life goes on. Like we got to get back into the groove. I got to get on that wheel again. And I got back on that wheel, I think too fast. And TJ didn't tell me until years later, but mm -hmm. at the time he didn't communicate it with me. So you know, again, through therapy, through talking about it, we learn from those mistakes. And I realized like the women's evolution is still here right now. It's okay. I, I'm still a part of it. Like I, I learned too, sure. you know, we learn in, in relationships, even though TJ and I, I've known TJ since I was 10 years old. Yeah, I, don't, oh, I didn't like him until I was like 16. <laughs>
Yeah. You mean you, your, your, your dad's like, you're not going to like him until you're 16. Right? I didn't like him for a long time. He was very cocky and arrogant. How do you, how do you guys grow up together? How do you, because you grew up together. Yeah, I mean, we did. you dated at what, 19, 20? Yeah, 18, or, 18 how, 19, we were dating. Yeah, what, tell me about some of those, those skills that you, because you, people, we're not born with those. Well, TJ, uh, he was a family friend. He went to school with my cousin, Ted. It's always a family friend. Isn't yes, it? he's a family Especially friend. in your family. The only way to get in would probably to be a friend. Yeah, because it's just, it's like a heart family mafia. Yeah, forget it. Um, but he was a family friend. He went to school, uh, elementary school with my cousin, Ted. And then his, you know, his mom was a single mom and he, he, he wasn't from a broken home, but he yeah. kind of had a, you it's know, a tribe. it's a tribe. If you can wrestle and be with you guys, yeah, that's a there tribe. was, you know, he kind of had a, a hard childhood as, yeah. as many people do. So yeah. our family, the Hart family kind of took him in. So he kind of, kind of became like part of the Hart family. So he ended up falling in love with wrestling. I was going to say you. And yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that came later, but I feel like he's always had a little crush on me, even when we were like kids, but <laughs> he fell in love with wrestling. And my uncle's like, my uncle Bret Hart is a, you know, two-time WWE mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, you know, I think seven-time world heavyweight champion, main evented many WrestleManias. Mm-hmm. When you're growing up as a kid in Calgary and Bret Hart is like, oh. you know, around, like TJ was just in awe. He just wanted to wrestle. And so he, he was best friends with my cousins. And, you know, he was trained by my uncle Owen and my uncle Davey Boy Smith, um, who's, who's also a wrestler. You know, TJ lived with him because TJ didn't have a dad, never met his dad. So my uncles, Bret and Owen and Davey and even my own dad kind of became like TJ's like male role models. Mm-hmm. And so TJ, you know, had this long love for wrestling with my family and he kind of grew up around the family. And then as I grew up in my late teens, I got the bug to start wrestling. And who was my first wrestling coach but TJ? Really? Yeah, he was my first coach. Which, Is that what you're calling it? Yes, you're my first wrestling re- partner. Uh-huh. Well, he was my trainer. No, so really, Dad, we're going to practice. And yeah, well, and I never told my dad. I, I, to this <laughs> of day, you didn't. To this day, like— I, No, come on. My, my dad, I never acknowledged my dad that TJ and I were even a couple. My dad was always like, I don't know what you guys are up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, as parents, like, we're like, we know something's going on, but— Maybe we're just going to look away. From yeah, you're going to turn a blind. Yeah, so turn a blind in, eye. In what ways? But I am fascinated how you you do similar things. You grow up together. Yeah. Maybe just share some of the skills. I mean, I know you're saying TJ's, you know, the therapy and learning to communicate and yeah. these kinds of skills. But just for you personally, like things that you developed in your toolkit as a wife and a partner that are why you guys are are thriving today. I think the one thing that really works for us <laughs> is wrestling. Is wrestling. No, no. <laughs> um, well, we both share the same passion and we, I know it sounds, it, it can, it can, they can work against you, but for us, that works for us sure. because we have so much in common. We love what we do. We love working in WWE. We love, we love our friends here. We love even the, even when days are crazy and chaotic, like some days get at work, like we just, we love sharing that connection with each other and we love talking about it. We go home, we talk about it, we watch watch it on TV. We it's such a bond. It's such it's always it's always connected us for like the last 20 plus years. It's connected us. Right. And we have a good system. Like TJ, first of all, he always tells me I look great. <laughs> just kidding. Smart man. <laughs> no, nobody hates that you look great. Um, you know I mean? he's he's just he's just there for me unconditionally. He's there for my family. He was I was looking at text last night on the plane from my dad. My dad was texting me. I, lo- I love looking back at his old messages. And he was thanking me and thanking TJ because TJ, about a year before my dad died, TJ bought my parents a home. Mm-hmm. 
And he he's so giving to my family. He just wants them to be happy. He just wants to give them. Like he he wanted my dad to live comfortably because my dad was kind of sick towards the end of his life. And he sure. the, the the amount the amount of giving that TJ like it just radiates from him. Even for thing I'm thinking like that's a lot to do for some like even for our parents. Like yeah. he he wants to help my sisters. He wants to help my nephews. He wants to come to work and help people. He gives so much to me. He's just so giving, and he doesn't even want anything in return. He just wants us to be happy. And like I, I think about that, I'm like, TJ's so, he's such a minimalist. He just wants us to be happy. He literally gave my dad this incredible gift before my dad died because he just wanted my dad to be comfortable. And I look back and my dad was like, Natty, this house is just so beautiful. And I just love it. I love the pond in the backyard. And I can't thank you guys. And I remember texting him back saying, well, TJ wanted you to have that. Yeah. And it was like, he's just, he's just such a giver. And he's but such you, a great person. You guys give him a family. And I think maybe. Yeah. When, that's actually a great point. <laughs> when you don't have a family and someone becomes your family, yeah. I think that's a gift that uh he's very loyal. That, yeah. Very loyal. And that's now I know important. since his injury, I know that that was a hard time, but and I, I the reason I even want to bring this up is because I think it's just a great reminder for people that out of the worst thing, sometimes other great things come out yeah. of it. And now he's really thriving and doing well. Maybe just talk about his transition. Well, it's funny because I I never thought TJ would ever be a producer in WWE because his passion was so much in the ring because he yeah. was just seamless. As an entertainer and as a wrestler, as a competitor, an athlete, his work was just seamless. He just made everything look incredible in the ring. And now, like, is that is that preparation, athleticism, or just the supreme combination of both? I think both? a combination of athleticism, hard work, and also just, give, he was just very gifted. Yeah. And anybody that he was in there with, any different level, he was just made everybody and everything look great. And so I never thought he would transition or even want to be a producer in WWE, which is basically the producers are very important. They put together the show. Right. And Vince McMahon is a producer. Triple H is a producer. Shawn Michaels is a producer. We have di- many different levels of producers. That producers are critical to the show going on. And, and there's people that help in different areas of production for the show because we're, you know, Monday Night Raw is the longest running episodic TV show in history. So right. we, have, we have to have people that help produce that show. So for people who know and don't know, so with wrestling, you literally can have a wrestler that based on the way they're doing it, they're completely elevating your performance. Yeah, absolutely. There's some people that are so talented that they can take somebody that has less experience Mm. and they can bring them up here, but that's part of being really good. You know, you look at Rey Mysterio and it's like anybody that Rey is in there with, it's just like, you know magic's going to happen. And a lot of times they get, you know, somebody really good gets put with somebody that's brand new so that they can, Mm -hmm. part of life, raising people up. Yeah, well, and feeling that, I think sometimes too, if you're a younger person, and all of a sudden, you get to feel what that feels like. Your brain goes, oh, that's what that level feels like. I heard a quote from a, uh, one of your female wrestlers that I thought was really interesting that maybe you could expand on. Is She talked about and she said that Ric Flair was genius and that pretty much anyone who's really good at wrestling is, is genius. Is that also, when you guys are wrestling and performing, that there's moments where the crowd is also, you're, you're in tune with what they're feeling yeah. and you— you will, she likened it to riding a wave where there's sort of these moments yeah. where you go, we're going to drag this moment out just a little longer. Even yeah. though we we yep. planned it differently, yep. we're feeding off of that intuition of what's going on there. Yep. You know, I think that these are things that people don't see, but they're happening all well, the that time. That actually happened to me this past summer. I was, um, 
I was in a program with um, a storyline mm-hmm. with um, Becky Lynch, and mm-hmm. I had a promo with her. But it was I had to do the promo, which is like us talking back and forth. I had to do it after I had like a twenty-six minute match, and so I finished this match. It was through three different commercial breaks. It was daunting. The match was very daunting, and I finished the match, and I get on the mic and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> Cause I, I just finished wrestling. You know, you have this intense One moment thing at a time right? in front of 20,000 people. Yeah. And so it's like, okay. So I went a little off script in the promo, but the crowd was so into it. And I remember like Becky and I were like, you know, going back and forth. We were having so much fun because we kind of went, and I don't usually go off script, <laughs> but I went a little off script and it, everybody just exploded. And I was like, whoa, this is what it feels like to be Steve Austin. <laughs> But it was, it's those moments and, and you know, being able to elevate each other and, and just going back to TJ, like he transitioned into this different role and he's now elevating, elevating the future of WWE. But like, that's the cool part of what we do. And like seeing TJ in this new role, he's lifting others up. It's like part of life. What, what makes me happy in life is lifting people up and he's doing that and he's excelling at that. Yeah. And, you know. Would you have thought a few years ago, like that he'd be here, I mean, at this place emotionally and thriving this much? I think, you know, going back to riding the wave, I feel like life is sometimes like a wrestling match. You get knocked down, you get, you know, there's there's all sorts of comebacks and false finishes and one, two, threes. But like, it's really important to understand that like, no matter who you are in the world, if you could be filthy rich or you could be dirt poor, you could be working in WWE, you could be working at McDonald's, or no matter, nobody is exempt from going through hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Nobody is exempt from hardship. And you know, I talk with TJ about that a lot. And I'm like, we're just so lucky that you ended up finding something that's truly your calling. I feel like his job as a producer in WWE is actually more of his calling than what he was doing in the ring. Well, and think about this, forced transition, right? At some point, you'll transition. He would have transitioned out of being in the ring. Right. And maybe in some way he's getting on his next gig yeah. sooner, which in the end then yeah. might make him— happier. Yeah. I, I just think that's an important thing to remember. Sometimes we get pushed into really uncomfortable places, but actually to bring us to a place that whether we can see that or not, and obviously an injury is really a whole scary thing of like, oh, wait a second, this in the long play is going to be really, really powerful I feel like, for me. I feel like the injury was meant to be. I know it's, it's hard saying that because it was very traumatic and yeah. it could have it could have cost TJ's life, but it was something that was part of TJ's destiny. It's part of his roadmap of his life that he changed and grew so much. He grew exponentially as a person from that injury. Mm-hmm. And I would never wish an injury on someone, but no. because of how much he grew from it as a human being, he's so much more fulfilled and so much more, he's just a more well-rounded person because of what he went through. And I think about so many people that are successful and it's like, so many people go through so much. It's the ones that go through a lot of shit yeah. that are the ones that That's, end up giving back the most because yeah. they understand. They have that reference, yeah, you know. that point of view. Speaking of, I, I know that you lost your pops in 2018, and I know that was very painful. But, you know, everybody loses people that they love. Right. And, and um, I think what I'm interested in, in knowing is maybe how— because I know you're also very close to your dad. I mean, it's kind of, your yeah. family is fascinating. Right. And listen, I know hardcore wrestling fans may be frustrated with me because it's not that um, I'm not interested in that. I think that's just been really well covered. Yeah. And I'm really interested in you. Right. And them seeing like well, what you're seeing and what you're managing. 
your whole life is also an extension of your family before you. I mean, you're yeah. third generation. So it's in, he's in you, yeah. your uncles are in you, your grandfather's in right. you. It's like so much a part of you. But that I'm curious about also, maybe there's bittersweet moments now after your dad has passed that you're learning new things that you didn't know about your dad yeah. or just what that experience has been like. Oh, it's it's funny. I learned things about, I mean, that's why I, sometimes I go through our old text messages and I'll look at them and I'll be like, I don't even remember my dad sending me that. Like, and I love it because it just makes me so happy that, you know, we, I still feel such a strong connection with him. And my dad was just such an extraordinary person. He was really high maintenance. He was a pain in the Wait, ass. Wait, what does that mean, high maintenance? Um, he was very high maintenance. Like he he needed a lot of people around him to kind of help him get through a lot of things. And okay. when he was in WWE, my uncle, Bret Hart, who mm-hmm. was my dad's partner in the Hart Foundation, the tag team that they were Absolutely. in. Absolutely. I love the pink. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. They Bret helped him get through a lot, but my dad helped Bret, but my dad always needed like... He just needed a lot of, that's why he had three daughters. Cause we were always yeah. just like helping, helping, helping. We were like, we've always just surrounded my dad, like a fortress where we just, we move him along. And that's kind of why we didn't notice that my dad was so sick towards the end of his life because he had my mom helping him. He had my sisters, he had me, he had TJ. He had like, he had everybody helping him move along. And, and you know, it's funny, I, I haven't talked about this publicly with anyone before, but looking back on my dad's life and reflecting on his legacy and his journey and his, just his, years on this earth, I didn't realize that I think my dad suffered from depression and anxiety his whole life. Mm -hmm. And that's why he needed people helping him get through. And he had a great support system. My grandfathers, my uncles, you know, again, three daughters, we were all always helping my dad. In helping my dad, we built this very close bond with him. But now when I start to look back and as I learn more about mental health, because mental health Mm -hmm. is such an important thing in the world today, I realize- even almost more so now, because there's more noise. Yeah. I think we have more coming at us. And it's it's just, you, you start to become more aware of like, oh, that's a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's had a brain, which every single one of us has a brain, anybody that has a brain, it's their brain isn't perfect. Therefore, they've struggled with something at, at even the smallest capacity with sure. mental health. Well, I think by nature, if you think about it biologically, we're hardwired to be afraid, right? That's what keeps us alive. I mean, I think sometimes we think I should feel happy. And I think what people don't realize is actually we're fighting a lot of natural fears and anxieties just being human. Just being human. Just being here. And because we live in a different world than our biology. Yeah. And so there are certain things that are actually really natural. Right. We just need to figure out how to get around it. And cope with it. And my dad didn't have all those coping mechanisms growing up because I think— just looking back at the patterns and like now that I'm learning a lot more about mental health, I I really think my dad suffered from anxiety and depression. Both of my sisters suffer from anxiety, like sometimes debilitating anxiety, and they've both been working through it. I don't have that same issue with anxiety, but both my sisters do. So that's why when I started to deal with some of their issues, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is like daddy. This is like exactly what daddy was like, but we always we we just scooted it along and everybody just kind of shuffled it around and just kind of, you know, daddy's tired because he was on the road. He's tired because he was wrestling. He's just exhausted because he's been traveling so much. I really think that my dad, his whole life struggled from anxiety and depression. And so the older I got and the more that I realized I was able to reflect that, you know, my dad and I shared the same career. I was like, now I'm able to see it. I, you know, I was listening to The Rock talk about his dad and he was like, my dad was really complicated. He was very complex, but like the older 
The Rock got, the older he realized that he and his dad, he understood why his dad was like that. And I think my dad had so much pressure on him in the early days of WWE because my dad was a star in WWE in the 80s. And he was trying so hard to be a husband, be a father to us girls. And then to also, they were on the road 300 plus days a year. My dad was trying hard to perform in the ring. He was, he always had different levels of pressure on him growing up. My dad, when he was a teenager, he was the best shot putter in the nation. I was going to say, how does he go from what, UCLA? UCLA. Right? Track? Yeah, full scholarship. And then all of a sudden now you're slipping around. I mean, how's that transition? My dad, he he was just, he was a very gifted, like a prodigy. I mean, I know he was powerful. Yeah. And, you know. He was in the, he was a shot putter. Mm -hmm. And then um, his record has not been broken in the state of California. Interesting. Actually, which is really, really, yeah. He went to Catella High, which is in like Newport Harbor. Yeah, he's he was a gifted athlete, but he always had pressure on him from coaches. Mm-hmm. But that's part of being an athlete, you know? But I think that added to his anxiety. And then my dad played in the NFL. He played for the Dallas Cowboys and the Oakland Raiders. And then he had an injury that led him into pro wrestling. And I think my dad had anxiety in football. And I think he had anxiety in, because he, he was striving always to be the best. And sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves yeah. to be the best that I wish I could go back now and tell my dad, like, you were doing great. I think people don't realize when someone appears, especially, you know, the sort of warrior, okay, football, wrestling, that, you know, you can simultaneously perform at this incredibly high level and kick a lot of ass and be great and deal with, today I feel unsure. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. I think it's opening up that dialogue or having that coach that you can go, hey, coach, you know, like I'm bumpy here today. And they go, yeah, that's good. Okay. That's that's okay, and you and you can still get it done. Yeah, like those things can live together, because I I feel like when we can identify that feeling, then it doesn't take. Then we're not trying to hide it, push it, and it becomes like a beast. And it's okay, you know. This is an expression we hear more of these days. But I wish I could go back and tell my dad, like, it's okay to not be okay. There's going to be yeah. days where we don't feel good. There's going to be days that, like, my dad was a very proud man. He never wanted to tell us when he didn't feel good. That's why when he the day that he died, the night before he told my mom he didn't feel good. And he's like, I just don't feel good. I feel cold. And he didn't feel good. But we were always, you know, he kept, he held a lot in. So he kept it to himself. So we we didn't really know what was wrong because my dad wasn't good at sharing his feelings. He always was just used to being strong. And I think now it's important, not even just talking about my dad, but for society to understand, yeah. like, there's days that we feel shitty. There's days that we feel great. There's days we feel strong. There's days we feel weak. There's days we feel vulnerable. There's days, you know, I feel like I wish I was like her, or, you know, days that I'm feeling anxious or like, there's just, we can, we, we're human. We go through all these different emotions and like, sometimes it's just okay to not be okay. Yeah. And then you have days when you feel great. And yeah. when you feel great, go out and have chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Champagne. <laughs> no, you're supposed to have chocolate when you feel shitty. <laughs> I, that's my go-to. So, so <laughs> that's speaking, true. That's speaking of that. <laughs> Champagne, okay, great. Champagne, chocolate, yes. Okay. No, and speaking <laughs> of like, you know, I'm six foot three. I am occasionally at 50 years old, awkward. You know, it, people used to, you know, like, oh, you're a really good athlete. I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, like having yeah, that feeling yeah. of like, and I have, I have a daughter right now playing tennis and we have a lot of conversation about managing just what you're saying. Yeah. I want to go out. I want to try. I want to win. I want to be good. I'm unsure. I don't know. I'm right. scared, you know, simultaneously. And, and we were saying earlier, like you are like a superhero. And even, of course, the way it is presented is like superhero. And you yourself have gone through things of, 
like your dad was so powerful. And obviously you have those genetics of being a powerful body. And, you know, maybe just share a little bit about walking the walk of, by the way, that power serves you. Yeah. And there are millions of women looking at you going like, I'm built like that. Yeah. How yeah. how was that journey been? Well, when I was younger and like in my teens, I, I always wanted to be thin. I always wanted to be skinny. I'd always dream of being like, you know. Yeah, of it, course, I get we, it. We, we all, all of us girls wanted to be skinny. And now that I wrestle and now that I need, like, I, I'm like, I look at Serena Williams and I'm like, I just want to, like, I want to look like Serena Williams. Like, yeah. she just looks like she kicks ass. She looks like yeah. she, her muscles look so, like she's doing something really cool because she looks like that. That's right. So if you have a young woman, maybe, or just even an adult woman that's, because we, we're always tormenting ourselves. Yeah. I think women. Always. We're, there's the yeah. mirror. Let me go over there and torment myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah. What um, What is the stuff that you told yourself that you went, oh, I tell myself all the time, and I, I mean, it's, you know, it's a daily thing. Like, for what I do in the ring, for what, I, what I'm what i doing in my life, I need to be strong because we only have one body. So, and I, my mom actually, since my dad passed away, she lost 30 pounds. And I told my mom, I'm like, working out and taking care of yourself and just investing in your body, it's the fountain of youth. She's 65 years old. She's in the best shape of her life. Her skin looks amazing. Her, She was always putting so much into my dad, yeah. trying to keep my dad afloat that she didn't put anything into herself. And now it's like, now we're, now she's just living it up. Like, and it's such a good example of like, it doesn't matter how old you are, how it's, it's just about getting started. Who cares that you're 65? Get started, go to the gym today, do 20 minutes, do 30 minutes. If you only have, like, you'll never feel bad about having a workout. You'll feel bad about the workout that you didn't have. But even with food, it's like, I need to eat to fuel my body. When I was a teenager in my late teens, I had an eating disorder, which many athletes and entertainers, female they, they do because they, you know, I was like, I lost 40 pounds in one summer. I, I dropped really uh, to a really low weight. Did you stop eating? I was like in a contest with myself. I literally was, I started, it started with a diet. Mm. And then all of a sudden I started getting, everybody started complimenting me that I was losing weight mm. and you look so good. And then I started really liking the compliments and I went from 160 down to 117 in the course Whoa. of a summer. And it, it almost became addicting to lose weight because I was. it became like a game with the scale mm-hmm. and it became a, ga- a contest with food. And then like looking back on it, like, and I see old pictures of myself, I'm like, whoa, like I didn't look healthy. I know I wasn't happy. And I look back on those times and now I'm 165-ish mm-hmm. around that area. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel great. It makes I feel, you feel good. I was 200 when I was pregnant. Okay, take well, it Well, and, but I'm also, like, I'm not, I'm strong and I'm muscular and I'm, ha- and I'm, I know I'm not, you know, we can, I can always stand to lose five Which, pounds. Which, by the way, is hard with your schedule. I love my body. I need my body. Last week, I was in a really grueling match with a girl named Asuka on Raw. Mm-hmm. It was like, I had to literally lift her up off the ground. I had to lift a 160 pound girl up off the ground and give her like a suplex, which was yeah, a move. Yeah. And I had to do that from like sitting. I, I would never <laughs> be able to do that if I was a hundred, you know, if I was down in that, you know, when I was going through my eating disorder, I, I need my body to be strong. I need my body to do the thing, the things I do. Like now I'm so empowered in my body. I'm like, I don't care. who cares if you're 160 pounds? Yeah, you it doesn't, do stuff. I, and you're healthy. Well, and I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm fit. I love the way my clothes look on me. I love my life. I love I love the way I feel in the morning. Like, and again, I, I'm not against losing five pounds here or there, yeah. but I'm also really happy in my in my body. I know that I I'm happier now than I was, and happier and more confident now than when I wasn't healthy. I, now I just want to I'll wrap up with just a couple wrestling inside 
ideas because I think none of us are really going to get that opportunity to do what you do. Not really. So I'm <laughs> well, I have well, an extra pair of wrestling boots. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would, you guys could take me down. They'd be like, just get her down to the ground. She's over, you know? Well, first of all, is there a female wrestler? I'm always curious, like when you watch that you sort of go, she plays nice, but I also dread wrestling her because either she's enthusiastic, Super strong, a little, I don't know. Is there any girl that you're just like, um, and I'm always fascinated that in a way, like not everybody can get along with everybody. And that part, I don't care about. It's a sisterhood. Yeah. Or but sisters. It's, it's like, do you have someone you're like, oof, okay, I got them tonight. Gosh, let me think. And it doesn't even have to be for negative uh, reasons. Yeah, it's just, just more. Like, um, I'm just trying to think who, you know, who's really intense. <laughs> We are intense as a compliment. Yeah, I'm thinking like there's a girl named Nia Jax, and she's so strong. Yeah, and she's so powerful. But the few times I've wrestled her, I've been legit. Like I'm so scared. (laughs) Like because she's she's one of her mottos is I'm not like most girls. Yeah, but she's strong, and she's like when you see her in the gym, she's squatting like 350 pounds. Yeah, but she'll like give you a shoulder tackle, and you'll just go (laughs) flying out of the ring. You're like. I thought this wasn't supposed to be real. Um, you know, it's it, then you then you start realizing actually wrestling's really, really real. Well, yeah. Um, Naya is Naya is strong. She's a powerhouse. She scares me. She yeah. scares me backstage. I'm like, I'm scared. Naya and Brock Lesnar, I'm scared of. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But she's got a she's got a heart of gold. But she's just she's yeah. Some she, people are big and strong. She's a tough opponent, and it's easy to spray around. And you're just like try to harness that a little bit. You know? I she's she's definitely a, a mountain I want to climb as far as wrestling match goes but there's so many girls that I love working with that I have such good chemistry with that I feel like such an unbreakable bond with in the ring like well there's a level of trust too. yeah you, and you just together. like there's like if I look at Charlotte Flair I'd be able to mm-hmm. wrestle her with our eyes closed blindfolded yeah like her dad is Ric Flair yeah, and of course. so we both know about crazy families and yeah. like but you know we lock up <laughs> and we just click we connect Asuka she's from Japan we yeah. just click and connect I love working with Sasha Banks she's like She's, I could do anything with her because she's just like this little, like flying squirrel. There's a couple girls at NXT, WWE's other brands that I really, really want to work with, like Rhea Ripley. So she's, she's from Australia and she's tall too, but she's a total ass What's kicker. tall in your world? I think she's like six feet. Wow, maybe five giant. foot eleven. Yeah, but yeah. you're, it's so I'm funny. Six, three, yeah. You are tall, but like, it's, it's really, now that I'm sitting with you, I don't feel like you're that tall. <laughs> I have a gentle spirit. People yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay, so you go, you fly into a city, you guys get ready, then you find out pretty much the day of what's going down. Is that right? Well, again, it, it, we just—it's such a hustle and bustle. Well, you yeah, leave. it's a moving story, an you organism. Leave. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a production. Trust yeah. me. You get on a plane. You know, you get you go from your house to the airport. You know, you park your car, you get on a, you check in, you get on a plane, you get a rental car when you land, you got to get your baggage. You know, hopefully they didn't lose any of your luggage. The first thing I do whenever I land in a city, whether I'm traveling to Australia or whether I'm going to Alabama, I go and find a grocery store and I find a gym. I like to have my food and I like fresh food. Just so I need to be able to, I need good, healthy things that are fresh, not you have to stay on top of that, especially I, when you travel. And especially because I need my body to be healthy because I'm about to perform a few hours later. Yeah. So go get a good meal. Go get some food. Go to the gym. Even if it's 45 minutes, I have to get my blood going or else mentally I don't feel right in the ring. Go to the arena. Talk to whomever I'm supposed to be wrestling. It's really important for us in WWE to be able to prepare with whomever we're working with. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about it. We collaborate. It's a performance. You know, yes, it's 
a fight and a match, but it's also a performance. Sure. We're, we're performers. So, and then we go and have the match in front of, you know. How's the butterflies before you go out? I always get stage fright. Always. Always, always. always. And I love it. I, I feel like if you, I always tell my husband, if you could bottle up that little feeling of like being so nervous before you go out, it's like a money can't buy that feeling. It's because I love what I do. Yeah. I love wrestling. I love, I love performing. I love being in the WWE. I love my friends. I just love competing in front of people and having the crowd get excited, having people laugh, scream, cry, you know, just be engaged, you right. know, be, they're part of it. They're, they're such a part of it. If you could, in parting words, represent, you know, I feel like you sort of thought, you know, me, Natty, what I'm hoping to just represent out there. I mean, obviously you have a crazy discipline and commitment and all these things. What is that? I think it's perseverance. I think that there's so many people that don't realize that what we do takes an army of people to get us here, but it also takes an inner self-awareness that you gotta, you gotta keep going. It's like Warren Buffett has a quote and he says, forward is forward no matter what the pace. And I love that quote because no matter what you're going through in your life, the good, the bad, whether it's losing a family member, whether it's preparing for WrestleMania, whether it's going out and doing a live event, whether it's Monday Night Raw, whether it's going through something hard, you, you got to just keep moving forward. You can't look back unless it's to see how far you've come. And I think that for me, it's perseverance. I didn't get to where I am today by giving up. I, I've continued to move forward slowly. And I'm always grateful to, to everybody that's helped me along the way because I didn't get here by myself. I'm very aware of the people that have helped me get here. Mm -hmm. And and with that being said, always remember to pay it forward. Yeah. Always, because it's a circle. And everything that was given to you, you got to give back. Yeah. And I think your family has shown that through the generations. So yeah, it seems to be in there. Thank you so much for Thank your time. You, Good luck tonight. Thank you. Okay. So for me, when it comes to my health and fitness and finding the time to work out when I'm at home and when I'm on the road, it really comes down to making fitness and making health a priority, making it feel like an appointment, making it feel like it's something that I have to do and it's part of my routine. It's a lifestyle. It's not something that I do as a crash diet. It's not like, oh, I'm preparing for WrestleMania. Now I've got to start working out. I have to be in shape 365 days a year, not just for what I do in the ring with WWE, but for my own sanity. And for me, I, I just feel like there's, there's no right or wrong way to be active as long as you keep moving. And for every single person, there's something different that works. I have a lot of friends that are into CrossFit and a lot of friends that are into hot yoga and a lot of friends that are into um, Pilates and some girls that I work with are into long distance running. Just different things work for different people. For me, I really like to mix it up and I, I like to be consistent. I hate long workouts. So for example, when I get home after a long week on the road, I really try to narrow my workouts down to around one hour. And that is a balance of 30 minutes of cardio and about 30 minutes of weight and stretching in there as well. And I, and I sometimes stretch in between my workouts, I have a person that comes to my house and actually stretches me um, because stretching is so important. Keeping our body loose and limber and warm is so important, especially for what we do in the ring. When I'm on the road, I have to work out before I wrestle, even if it's only 30 minutes. If I get off a plane and I have a really, really small window to get food and, and, and to get to the gym, I have to get a little bit of a workout in because 
it's more of a mental thing even than a physical thing. I just feel like my body is more prepared to do what it needs to do to get the blood flowing and to be really at ease in the ring. Um, but it's also, you know, I, I've got to stay fit and there, you know, I can make up a million excuses as to why I don't want to work out. I can say, well, I had a really early morning or, Oh, you know, travel was really hard today. And, Oh, you know, I couldn't find a gym. You, you can always make it work. Even if, you know, I don't love going to planet fitnesses, for example, I just, I don't know why, but they're just not my cup of tea. But with that being said, if there's only a planet fitness available, I go to a planet fitness. If I can't find a gym. I'll get to the arena early and I'll run the stairs, even if it's just 15 minutes, you know, or I'll, I'll do lunges up and down the, the stairs of an arena or a venue. You can always, always make it work. But, you know, we just sometimes have that short window to get that workout in. You never feel bad for the workout that you did. You always feel bad for the workout that you didn't do. And I always keep that in the back of my head because when I work out, I just feel more accomplished. It's the one thing in the day that you can't take away from me. It's, it's something that I own. And it's something that in a world where it feels like everything is out of control, I can control when I work out. So that's so, so, so important for me. And, and the same thing with food. Some days I'm really hungry and I want to eat everything in sight. And those are the days that I need to listen to my body and go, okay, are you really hungry or are you just thirsty? Are you just tired? Are you just bored? And there's some days where I'm not all that hungry at all. And I, I don't want to eat much. And I think, you know, it's just, again, it's important to listen to your body. It's, it's important to know, okay, you've had a really active day today. You had a crazy workout in the gym. You lifted a lot of weights. You wrestled a 20-minute match tonight, and you have a four-hour drive after the show. Those are the days where my body is going to demand more fuel of me, and that's when I need to listen to it. If I don't give my body the proper nutrition, it does shut down. I not only get sick, I get tired, I get cranky. Um, I can't recover. And in order to do the things that I do in the ring in WWE, I have to be able to properly recover. So for me, those are things that are just really important. And, and, and as far as specifics go, um, specifically as for, with my food on the road, I, I really love finding a grocery store when I land, whether I'm landing in Alabama, if I'm landing in, I mean, even if I'm traveling across the globe to Australia or Japan, or I like to go out and like get my own food. I really like to be in control of, you know, having my own food and, you know, preferably from a grocery store where I can get organic food, meaning organic, meaning fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, food that's, you know, perishable because it's, it's not all that good to eat food with a ton of preservatives in it. Think about what it's like to preserve it for, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen specials where they have like McDonald's French fries and you can preserve them and they, they literally look or a burger, like they don't change color. They don't get moldy. They don't, you know, after, cause they're so preserved. I don't want to eat food like that. I want to eat food that's going to perish like a piece of salmon or a piece of fish or a piece of, you know, a beautiful piece of chicken. I love, I love eating meat. Um, I'm not a vegetarian, but I really limit, limit my meat. I, I don't have a ton of meat all the time. Once a week, I do like to have a piece of, you know, really nice cut of steak. I feel like for me, for Natty, I love steak. I love meat, but I also need the iron. Uh, I'm bordering on being a little bit anemic. So for me, I, I like to have a little bit of a little bit more iron in my diet. With that being said, I also love to eat, you know, a lot of leafy greens, anything that's green, anything that runs, anything that swims, anything that comes from the earth. Again, I don't have a real, real specific diet plan, but I just... You know, I like my favorite foods, for example, that I have like our staples in my diet are like 
almonds, pecans, walnuts, blueberries, uh, salmon, avocados. I, I have multiple avocados every single day. Avocados are brain food and they're so good for you. You can literally have a meal out of avocados and a piece of sprouted toast. Sprinkle a little sea salt on it and you're good to go. And as far as fat burners go, the best fat burner that you can have, the best natural fat burner that I take is coffee. I love having, I love coffee and it's become like a really popular fat burner for a lot of talent in WWE as far as like being accessible anywhere. You can always get a nice cup of coffee. So I usually always have coffee before I work out or coffee before, before I wrestle just to give myself that little extra kick. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's from the earth. So it's nothing that's going to be too bad for you. But anyway, that's just my, my diet, my fitness in a, in a nutshell. And yeah, I just, I just try to have balance and I never deprive myself if I want If I want a piece of chocolate cake, I have a piece of chocolate cake, but I also understand accountability. If you're having the piece of chocolate cake, so important to know that, okay, I got to go to the gym. I got to work out. I got to, you know, burn it off. And it's, it's motivation too, to go to the gym because I love food. I'm a foodie. I love really nice soup. I love going out with my mom and having really nice lunches. I love sampling, you know, different desserts. Uh, I love to have a glass of red wine at night, but I know that if I want those things, I've got to put in the time at the gym. So. And one last thing, whenever I'm in a rut and whenever I need motivation, I always, always, always grab a partner to work out. When my dad passed away, I had a really hard time getting motivated to go to the gym. I just didn't feel it. When you have a, when you have a partner, a workout partner, you, they just help you so much become accountable. You can't skip your workouts because your partner is counting on you. And you have somebody that you can share on that fitness journey with. It just, it's helped me immensely. And my mom actually has become one of my favorite workout partners. And us working out together has not only motivated me, but it's helped her lose 30 pounds. So we, we, love, we love our fitness journey together. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind-the-scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.